Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. You know, whatever your political views are or um, whatever your opinion is of how well the candidates answered the question, there's no uh, debate, <laughs> no pun intended, there's no debate that there was a huge difference on Thursday night during the vice president's presidential debate about the differences in communication style. It's fascinating. The content of the two men's answers got far less press than the sharp contrast in how they responded to all the questions. And that not only reflected their policies, but apparently reflected their character. It's been interesting to hear the media and politicians uh, describe the two approaches. Because both the right and the left saw the debate the same but they differed on whether the approach that each man took was a good thing or a bad thing. Using just the words out of the press, Congressman Ryan was described in terms like calm, measured, steady, and reserved, which the right saw as confident and statesmanlike, and the left saw as weak and uncertain. Vice President Biden was described with words like disrespectful, rude, condescending, and aggressive. The left saw that as strong and passionate. The right saw it as arrogant and offensive. And what we've seen to learn in the days following the debate is that the vice president really did that intentionally to try to undermine Congressman Ryan's credibility and to make him look politically experienced. And I tell you that not to be making a statement, but because that applies into our study this morning. Because as we come into chapter 15 of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at a, a number of texts this morning, we see that Thursday night really proved that words have tremendous power. But even more so, it proved that the way we use our words greatly influences those who hear them. Very few words are completely innocuous. There's always some degree of intent in how we use them, and the intent has two purposes, either to build up or to tear down. Every word comes out of our mouth, really, if you think about it, and you'll start to think about this more during this week after our study, every word that comes out of our mouth either builds up or it tears down. Now, that can be very subtle, and it, can, it doesn't have to be you know, highly critical to tear down. It can just have an edge to it, or it can be just a little bit nuanced to get the point across. And praise and encouragement and building up is not always overt. Sometimes it's very soft. But every word has a purpose. And the Bible has a lot to say about this, not only from a practical standpoint, but also from a spiritual one. So here we are in Proverbs chapter 15, and Solomon offers four sets of contrasts completely based on the words that we use and how we respond. Now, we know that Proverbs is a, is a continuous comparison between holy living and unholy living, between acting righteously and acting unrighteously. So here he uses our words as part of that comparison, as part of that contrast between living for the Lord and living for ourselves. Let's start chapter 15 and verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. 
Now, he's drawing a comparison or contrasting, as we should say, between words that are sanctified and words, to use his word, that are wicked. Sanctify words turn away wrath. Wicked words stir up anger. Sanctified words, straight out of the text here, increase knowledge. Wicked words spread foolishness. Sanctify words soothe and build life. Wicked words perversely crush someone's spirit. Sanctify words show a habit of receiving correction. Wicked words show a habit of rejecting discipline. Just those four statements alone we could spend hours on. Because what Solomon is saying here is that our words produce responses. When we're holy and we're humble and we're seeking to build people up, we diffuse anger and we foster wisdom and we calm down the situation. Everybody relax. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's be wise in how we react. We're creating a situation where things are going to get better. But when we speak out of selfishness or out of anger or, or full of sin, we incite the situation. We, we make it worse. We increase irrationality and, and inflame the situation so that everybody walks away discouraged. Now, it's not hard to know which one is better. But we've all experienced both sides, right? We've all been in those situations. How often have we had a conversation take a turn for the better because it was getting a little feisty and we said, all right, let's, I'm going to be the calm one. I'm not usually the calm one, but today I'm going to be the calm one. I don't know. Maybe it's my vitamin C. I just, I, I feel led that I need to be the one that calms this down. And we see the situation kind of, kind of relax. We feel the mood in the room drop. And then we've been in a situation where we didn't defuse the bomb. We saw the fuse was was lit and it was going and we kind of went see what happens here this is going to explode this is going to be fun let's watch this see there are some truths we need to learn about our words and the first one's here in chapter 15 verse 1 and that is that our words influence the volume of the discussion the verse says there's great power in a gentle answer something that defers the anger. Now, I will grant you, that doesn't always bring as much emotional satisfaction, right? Sometimes it's, I know you would never do this, but sometimes, I'm going to tell you from personal experience, it's more fun to yell back. I know none of you have ever done that, but trust me on this. Sometimes it's more fun to yell back, and the enemy's whispering in our ear going, yeah, say what you really want to say. This is a good time to go ahead and get some stuff off your chest. And hey, they're kind of attacking you. You need to defend yourself. You need to you need to say what you really feel. And we start to hit with words that do more damage than, than we probably thought. But we kind of think in the moment, who cares? I just feel like doing this. I, I feel like getting it out. Let me give you a personal example. I don't think I've told you guys this story before. But if I have, don't stop me because, you know, that would be rude. Early on in our marriage, uh, we lived in a, a little house. And um, we were still trying to, to figure things out. And... We had one of those fights. It's, it's the only time I can ever remember 23 years of marriage where we actually yelled at each other. I mean, not just, you know, raising our voices. I mean, flat out, full on screaming. And I, don't e I couldn't even tell you to this day what it was about. But I remember that one of us was in the bedroom and one of us was in the hallway. We didn't even really want to look at each other. And we were just, for a good couple minutes, absolutely screaming at each other. 
probably two or three years into our marriage. What do you know two or three years into your marriage? You're in your mid-20s. You're like, I know everything. You don't, right? And we were yelling and yelling and yelling. And I was hot. I don't know why I was hot, but I was hot. And I was angry. And I wanted to get it out. And as we're trading verbal barbs, so to speak, all of a sudden, in the middle of all that, Julie starts laughing. I'm telling you, you want to be more mad. And I'm so glad to this day that she did. She was laughing, not at me. She was laughing at the absurdity of what we were doing. And in that moment, it completely disarmed the situation and stopped the problem. And we sat down and talked about what was going on and why we were so frustrated. At some point, the Lord instructed her mouth to say, don't say anymore. And that's what this is teaching us. The soft answer in this case was her laughing. I didn't really like it in the time, but it was valuable. And this is what, if you look at the next page, this is what chapter 16 teaches us. That what we say and how we respond not only diffuses the situation, but it gives us spiritual insight into what's really in our hearts. And this is where it gets a little more personal. Look at chapter 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. And adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Drop down to verse 28. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. The second truth about how we use our words in relationships is that our words reveal whether there is wisdom or foolishness in our hearts. Now, the Bible says that each situation shows not only the intent of our heart, but also the maturity of our faith. And that's sobering because as our words come out, even though sometimes we say, well, it was just the emotional intensity of the situation or, or I was frustrated or I was under pressure. Or, I didn't really mean to say what I said. The Spirit of God tells us here in verse 24, excuse me, verse 23, that our words aren't accidental. They actually reveal the true state of our spiritual health. It says in verse 23, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth. In other words, the heart says, say this, in the, in the, in the incredible intricacy of our body, and I don't understand it, how, how the brain functions. But the Bible always says that the heart and the mind are connected. So what's in here? Our passion, our beliefs, our desires, our selfishness, our faith. It's all in our heart. And it speaks to our head. It says, say this. Now, if the heart instructs the person to speak in wisdom, then the opposite is also true. That also means that the heart of the foolish tells his mouth what to say. In other words, nothing is inadvertent. We can't ever say, well, I, it was a slip of the tongue. I didn't, I didn't really mean to say what I said. Uh, you may not have meant to say it right then, but you meant to say it. You absolutely, and I absolutely, intended to say Whatever came out, that means we can't say, well, it was a, a reaction in the moment. I, I didn't mean it. I was just frustrated. I just, I just reacted. The Lord doesn't give us that delusional attitude. He says, what's in your heart? It tells your lips what to say. So if we're not being guided by the Spirit, we're going to say something that's dishonoring to the Lord. Now, that's not just crassness. 
That's pride. And that's jealousy. And that's offering our opinion to advance ourselves. Either way, it's showing some sort of corruption that's in our heart and mind. Good example of this. Don't turn John chapter 12. Good example of this is Judas. You remember when Mary comes and she breaks the perfume and she pours it over Christ's head to anoint him. And, and the disciples, it says, and many of the texts are, are all indignant. But the first one speaks Judas. Judas puts up a fake protest. Oh, it's too bad you did that. You know, if we had just sold that perfume, we could have helped the poor acting like he was all serious and righteous when we know good well that he was tucking all the money into his pocket. The Bible tells us that, that Judas would take the money that they'd get in and he just slips them over to the side for him. So he sees what Mary's doing and he says, oh man, I wish I could have gotten a piece of that. I wish I could have taken that perfume and gone to the market, gotten the money, and then I would have put it in the treasury, but not really. I would have put it in my own pocket. All this while he's plotting to betray Jesus. All this as he's going to the, to the Pharisees and saying, pay me, give me some cash. I'll give them to you. His heart was full of evil. He either didn't see his duplicity or he didn't care, but his heart was wrong. The words that he spoke gave an indication of what was in his heart and what was in his mind. And that has an outward effect. Look at verse 24. The third truth is that our words either have a therapeutic effect on the hearts and minds of others or they devastate. Either our words heal or they harm. Verse 24 says that the words that we say and how we say them which may sometimes be actually more important than the actual words because tone and body language really convey, convey the, the true intent of the words. But he says here, verse 24, the words we say and how they say them are essentially medicinal in terms of the impact they can have. They can bring sweetness to the soul and provide healing. The opposite of that is to create conflict and division. And as hard as that is to believe, sometimes it's a very fine line. Let me give you another example of my stupidity early in my marriage, okay? You like these? You like that Paul is stupid in his early marriage? Some would say Paul's still stupid in his late marriage. One time I remember, I don't know what year it was, but it was probably in the first 10 years of our marriage. I wrote a Valentine's card to Julie. Now, guys, we know what a struggle this is, right? To get just the right words. We, we spend $6 on a card that was written in Kansas City and went through six edits and doesn't really capture what we say, but we're desperate and we're looking for anything. And then we get the card home and we start to write. and We try to convey, oh, I, I love you and I care about you and I appreciate you and you've brought so much to my life and all, all the other things we want to say. Well, on this particular card, I don't know what it was, but I knew I didn't get it right. And, of course, I'm writing in pen, so there's not much I can do. Go back to Hallmark, spend another six bucks. And I knew as I wrote the card, just, I read that girl, like, I don't know how that's going to come across. But, you know, Julie's great. She'll, she'll see it the right way. <laughs> to this day, I will never forget the look. She opened the card, she's all smiling. She kind of read it and she started to kind of frown. She'll look confused and a little bit hurt. Because what I had said, it, it was intended to build up and encourage and tell her I loved her. And, and I just fumbled over the words and it didn't come out right. And, and she actually was a little bit hurt when I intended to do the right thing. 
Now that's that fine line. And my mistake was unintentional. But we know what happens when there is sin and selfishness in our hearts where we're less concerned about how we speak and the implication and the tone and the attitude and the posture. And we don't really care if it comes across as critical and condescending or or that the hostility is going to escalate. Because in that moment it feels good. And we're not trying to soothe. We're not trying to provide spiritual healing. We're not trying to to personally encourage. We just kind of want to hit them and, and, and come down. Our words become a weapon rather than a bandage. And where we need to be loving and sacrificial and humble so there would be restoration, we don't do that. Same thing applies to how we talk to people that don't yet know Jesus Christ. The church is viewed as, not this church, but the church all over, is viewed as critical and judgmental and harsh and and restrictive. And if our words reflect that, not, not lessening our beliefs, not lessening our view of the word, but if we come across as judgmental and pointing our fingers and, and saying, well, you're wrong and you need to repent. I'm not saying we shouldn't say repent. I'm saying it's the way we say it. If we come across that way, nobody's going to want to listen. Nobody's going to respond to the Lord. But if we see people the way Jesus saw them, as sheep without a shepherd, as people who need the wisdom of God, as people who are broken by their sin and need this table They need the redemption of God. They need the holiness of God. They need the forgiveness of God in their lives. If we see people with a spiritual need, oh, that our words are going to pour out in the way that God wants them to pour out. And it won't be harsh and condescending and critical. It will be seasoned with grace. Now, what does all this tell us? It tells us that we have a choice with our words. We can either tear down Or we can build up. Every word either hurts or heals. And there's not a lot of middle ground. Some words are said in a split second. Some words are are said without time to analyze whether we're going to be helpful. And we have to know what's in our heart so we know what's going to come out. See, when we write our words, we take more time to think through it, don't we? Especially when you write longhand. Have you written anything longhand recently? You're like, what's longhand? We, we had kids in the room like, uh, uh, does that mean texting with a bad keyboard? What does that mean? Now, if I write something longhand, my hand starts to cramp. I'm so used to typing everything. But when you write something, you have time to kind of reread it. And you, you parse what you want to say. You, you examine it versus the immediacy of the moment. See, the explosion of technology has changed how we communicate. Words now have become more thoughtless and more disposable because we want to reply so quickly. Hey, I got a text. You ever notice somebody in any situation when their phone buzzes, rarely will you see somebody say, I don't know how to deal with that. It's like, oh, you're on a date with your wife. Oh, I got a text. You're out watching your kid. Oh, I'm bored with this. Oh, I got a text. I got to respond. The immediacy of the moment, we want to get right back to it. And a lot of times it's like, i got to reply quickly so they don't go on to somebody else. I'm going to just text something back. We don't really think about what we're saying. When was the last time you wrote a long letter to somebody? When was the last time you wrote out your words and really thought through and reread and said, this is exactly what I want to say. So much of our communication, so much of my communication is 
how do I get all I want to say? Because you've probably noticed I'm a little wordy. How do I get all I want to say into 140 characters? I'm constantly, when I text, I'm like, oh, i got to shorten that word so I can fit it because I don't want to send two texts because I'm limited and I'm trying to figure it all into 140 words and I'm writing incomplete sentences and shortening words and the person who's getting it is going, I have no idea what that means. But it's that, it's that instantaneous, convenient communication and that changes the value of words and it raises the stakes because when you text or email, you can't convey tone and intention. Sometimes it gets very easily misconstrued. And once it's out there, it's never coming back. You ever send an angry email that you didn't mean to send? And you hit, oh, no, 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 no. How do I get that back? I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to send it to that person. Or you put something on Facebook and then you took it down 10 seconds later, but four people had already responded. You're like, ah. Words get out there and there's a permanent documentation of our anger. Words have power and we're accountable for everyone. Romans 14, 12 says, we're all going to stand before the Lord and we're going to answer for what we said. Wow, is that scary. Now the Lord tells us that. Let's try to draw this down to the close. The Lord gives us that warning for three primary reasons. One is that he wants us to know just how dangerous and damaging our words can be. Two is that he wants us to look at Christ's example of how we should respond. And three, he calls us to a very specific action as believers. Let's deal with each for a couple minutes. The first one, don't turn now, but look at it this week, is in James chapter 3. The Lord wants us to know how dangerous and damaging our words can be. And he tells us very bluntly in James chapter 3, you know the text. Let me just read. Maybe you haven't read it lately. I hadn't read it for a while, and boy, it hit me. Let's see what the Bible says about our mouths. It says, our tongue is a fire, the very world of evil, a restless evil, and that it's full of deadly poison. But that's not all. The tongue also defiles the whole body, is set on fire by hell, cannot be tamed, and makes us a hypocrite when we bless God and curse people. Now that sounds innocent enough, right? The, the power of the words that the Holy Spirit uses. He's not messing around here. He's not saying, you know, just watch your mouth. Some of the things you say can, can kind of hurt people. And you probably ought to be a little more. He's saying, uh-uh. You want to define hell? Look at your mouth. You want to define what, what created hell? How you speak. Your tongue is set on fire by the fires of hell. It defiles your whole body. It's restless and it's evil. And it can defile you because it's full of deadly poison. In other words, your mouth has tremendous power to do serious damage. 1 Peter 3.8 says that how we use it determines whether God will bless us or not. If we're full of holiness and purity and our mouth is guarded in what we say, it says the Lord will bless us. But if we're crude and insult people and criticize and gossip, it says the Lord's not going to have anything to do with that. Right after the Spirit says in 1 Peter 3, keep your tongue from evil 
He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, but his face is against those who do evil. In other words, if we're careless with our words, and that indicates our heart is not right, it says that God's posture and God's demeanor toward us changes. If we're crass, crude, critical, uh, offensive, uh, tearing down, gossiping, uh, being uh, offensive with our mouths, it says God doesn't come to us loving and gracious and saying, oh, that's wonderful. It says that he sets his face against us. He gives us a searing look and says, really, that's what you're going to do? You're my child. That's how you're going to talk. Did I die on the cross for that? You ever get one of those looks from your parent when you were growing up? I remember a couple. Like, what did you do? That's, that's not how we raised you. That's not how you're going to act. I remember a couple of those looks. And you say to yourself, I'm in so much trouble if I say another word. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that that's the look the Lord gives us. You're my child. You, you say you have faith in me. You say that, that you're going to walk in holiness. That you love me. And you're going to speak evil. The word there is interesting in the Greek. It's not the word for sin. Sin means disobedience to God's law. This word evil means wicked and destructive. So the application here is to guard against saying what is evil, what is critical, what is de defaming and damaging to a person's character. And that applies on so many levels that we can't even hit them all. But think about being critical to your spouse or saying a harsh word to your child. God says, you better get away from that. You better stop doing that because I am going to stand against that. That's very sobering. And it tells us to be very careful with how we speak. Then we see a model. Turn over just for a second to John chapter 8. We see a model from Jesus about what the better response is. And this is a familiar text. This is the passage where Jesus is in the temple and the scribes and the Pharisees bring the woman who had committed adultery and, and they're trying to test him and trap him. Because they know if he condemns her, if he says, well, yeah, you should stone her, that it contradicts everything he had done in his ministry when he talked to those that society looked down on. And he said, there's grace available. If you repent, God will forgive you. So if he condemns her, he goes against the essence of his ministry. If he acquits her and says, oh, it's, fine. it's no big deal, guys, just let her go, then he's speaking against the law. So this is a huge setup. And they're so smug and they think, oh, we've got him now. Let's bring this woman to Jesus and see what he does. And they lay the trap for him. How would you and I react? What would we say in this situation? I'd want to defend myself. I'd want to argue my way out of the situation and deflect somehow. But Jesus' response here teaches us so much. It teaches us how to talk and react and deal with criticism. Start in verse 6. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He was without sin among you. Let him 
be the first to throw a stone at her. Notice, it's always fascinating to me that Jesus doesn't answer at first. I'm so reactionary that I have a hard time relating to this. But as they come up, he knows what they're doing. They're inciting him. They're trying to trap him. They're being persistent. Basically, they're being jerks. And he knows it. And instead of saying, all right, I've had enough of you guys. He just stoops down, starts writing in the ground. Shows incredible emotional restraint in not responding to this baited trap. How often do we escalate the problem by by kind of taking the verbal cheese on the emotional mousetrap of relationships? And we know it's there. We know it's wrong. We know it's going to damage. We're like, I'm just going to grab it. He says, I'm not going to do that. James 1 says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. And I don't know about you, but I need to be like verse 6. I need to be quieter a lot more often. Sometimes wisdom is reflected by a lack of words. How many know that's true? Sometimes we show our greatest wisdom not by spouting off and saying, well, I know the answer to that one. Sometimes the greatest wisdom is not saying a word. He lets their words hang in the air. It would have been so easy to stand up and get in their face with righteous anger and rip them to shreds for their arrogance and their hypocrisy. But he doesn't speak harshly or condescendingly. He just slowly stands up and says, listen, the law says she deserves a stoning. Go ahead. But one condition. Whoever doesn't have any sin, here's the first rock. Let her fly. He just reacts so calmly and he brings it back to truth. And what a beautiful way to respond. It's so effective. Oh, if we could be like this in the way that we respond to problems and to criticism and to people attacking, to not fight back and not say, oh, to say, here's the truth. Here's the truth. You you guys want to condemn her? You obviously have a vendetta. You're obviously trying to trap me. Fine, go ahead. But but you're going to be hypocrites if you start throwing stones because you're full of sin too. Turn over to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll finish with this. Here, God calls us to a very specific and very difficult action. And we know the church in Ephesus was strong, but they also had a lot of issues. Culture of the city was very hostile and very carnal. That had infiltrated into the church through false teaching. And Timothy, who was Paul's protege, who was the pastor in Ephesus, was being criticized and accused and ridiculed because of his age and And he didn't feel confident. The body wasn't united. It wasn't maturing. And Paul writes to deal with it. We know this passage well. You may have memorized it. Start in verse 29, Ephesians 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. This is speaking to the church now. But only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you 
along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, there's so much here. We're not going to deal with all of it. I just want to highlight two phrases and we'll pray. The first phrase is in verse 29. He says, only speak what is good for edification. And then he says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the first sentence, verse 29, tells us that the only words, this is what the text says, the only words that should come out of our mouth as people who are saved by grace, transformed with a new nature, filled with the Holy Spirit, living by the Holy Spirit, that's our resume. We did nothing to deserve it, Christ did it all. That as those people, the only words that should come out of our mouth should be to edify other people. That's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to obey. The only words that should ever come out of my mouth should be to edify. The word means to build up. The purpose, to help somebody progress and mature and grow personally and spiritually. In other words, the Bible's telling us that our words should be like mortar that's used to build a brick wall. It's what holds the wall together and makes it strong and secure. Mortar's made from masonry cement, meaning that it creates a powerful bond. It lasts a long time. It's it's hard to sh- uh, chip away. But but here's the thing. That takes a slow and careful process to apply so that things won't fall under pressure. Swift is here, slow to speak, with words that are like mortar. Every word that comes out of my mouth, every word that comes out of your mouth should be laying the foundation of bricks in other people's lives so that they will be built up personally and spiritually and be strong and secure in who they are. Ephesians 4.29 says every word we speak should have that purpose. To build up and strengthen. Because if not, it has a detrimental effect. When a building is demolished, often it's done with explosives. You've seen this on TV when they collapse a stadium or whatever. They, they implode the structure. It's a very fast and thorough way in 15, 20 seconds, a building that took years to build comes down. And it's usually done in such a way that other buildings around it aren't damaged. But it does happen. Sometimes the debris will come out and scar another building. Sometimes people that are standing there that have been told to stand back will get injured. That's the effect of words that don't edify. They tear down and they scar and they hurt and they damage. Now, not only is that painful, let's finish. Verse 30, but the Holy Spirit tells us it has another effect. He says, it grieves me. When you do that, it grieves me. Did you know our words can actually offend and make the Lord sad? That's what this means. The Holy Spirit wrote this. He says, there is something you can do that causes me sorrow. It breaks my heart. It hurts my feelings, so to speak. It's when you say things that are damaging. Remember Peter in the courtyard when he denied Christ three times? The text says that Jesus turned and looked at him. I don't think the look was harsh or condescending. I don't think Jesus was saying, I told you so. told you you are going to do it. You were so smug. You said you are going to go to the cross with me. What happened? I don't think he said that. I think the look was Ephesians 
And as Peter swore and cursed and said, I've never seen him. Jesus turned and looked. And he was grieved. Broken hearted. That Peter had denied it publicly. What are our words going to be? Are they going to be the dynamite that, that tears down and collapses and causes the walls of spiritual maturation and, 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 and self-confidence and, and unity to collapse and grieve the Holy Spirit? Or are our words going to be like mortar that builds up the walls and strengthens each other? Oh, church, let's be a church full of mortar. A church that builds each other up and strengthens each other. And then as we go out and talk to people that don't know the Lord, let's build them up and strengthen them and show them the love of Christ. We've celebrated this morning what Christ has done to change us. Let's tell somebody about it. Not, let me tell you about the love of God that's changed me. Oh, let me tell you about the greatness of His grace. And as they come into this room, they're going to see people that are loving and building each other up and edifying and strengthening. And they're going to say to themselves, I've never been anywhere like this. Everywhere I go during the week doesn't look like this. What's the deal? And we're going to say it's Christ. It's Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you to help us. All of us struggle with this, Lord. All of us have difficulty speaking words that are edifying and strengthening and holy. And Lord, we could stand here today and try to make excuses and justify it, but there isn't one. Lord, our hearts need to be pure and holy before you so that the words of our mouth will be pleasing to you. Father, I pray this morning that you would convict us in the areas where we are not being sanctified with our words because you tell us in Proverbs that sanctified words are soothing and build up. And Lord, as we go farther along, that we would be aware of how our words sound and what we're conveying. And Father, be aware of the difference between building up and tearing down. Lord, I pray you do a new work in our midst just in the way we talk to each other the way we talk to our spouse and our, our children and our friends and fellow believers. Lord, help us. That's all we can pray this morning is help us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Guard our lips from what they say because, Lord, we don't want to grieve you. We don't want you to be saddened when you hear us speak because we're not being holy in the way we talk. Father, help me in this. And Lord, as our lips speak words of praise for you and words of encouragement to each other, we pray that those around us who don't yet know you would be drawn toward your mercy and your grace because of what they hear from us. We are ambassadors of the good news, ones who convey the truth about what we know. And I pray that we would do that well. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, Lord, be acceptable in your sight our strength and our Redeemer. We praise you and we love you. And Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.